Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. There are a variety of messages that I've given over the years. Predominantly, most of my messages have been sermon messages. Occasionally, I've done wedding messages and sermons. Occasionally, I've done funeral memorial services. I've also done messages on, uh, an or- I've done an ordination, one or two of those. And I even spoke at a, at a high school graduation commencement address message. But I've never given a farewell message, as in, farewell, this is the last time I'm ever going to see you because I'm going to die, and this is my last message. Never done that before. But I'm going to do it today, but it's not going to be my message. It's going to be the message of someone else in the Bible that we just read from the book of Joshua as he's given his farewell because he's passing off the scene and he's about to die. And what I want to do, I want to adopt that message as my own, given to you, and because you never know, this may be my farewell message. I may not make it to next Sunday. This may be your farewell message. You may not make it to next Sunday. We do not know, so I want to pour everything I have into you this morning. And the way I've been thinking about this in this chapter and speaking to you this morning is I've I've viewed it this, this week of giving a farewell message to my children kind of what is the parting words I want to give to my kids. And I'm going to let you in on that as well. As I give these words to my kids, I'm generally giving them to the church. And they're words of encouragement and warning. Encouragement and warning. And I feel a sense of extra urgency this morning for a particular reason. Yesterday I found out that one of the pastors that I respect and have followed for years, he runs in the same tribes that I do, and he's a great author and preacher. He announced to the world on Instagram, social media, he announced to the world that he has fallen away from Jesus, and he no longer follows the Lord. It's very, very disturbing. This is a guy that's solid theologically with integrity, and yet he's turned his back on Jesus, and he's announced that he's done. And when I hear things like that, I get urgent. I get urgent for my own kids because I don't want to see them fall away. I get urgent for you because I don't want to see you fall away. And and Joshua felt that intensity as well. As you see it in his words, he didn't want Israel to fall away. And he hits them with that intensity. And so if you feel that extra urgency and intensity this morning, that's the reason why. Because when he gave this message in the Bible, things are going great. People are following the Lord. But don't read the book of Judges because they tank. They fall away. And I don't want that to happen to you. So let this farewell message hit the way it's supposed to hit. Well, we're, look, we're in Joshua 23. We've got one more message after this. For those of you who have not been with us this summer, we're in the book of Joshua. And today in chapter 23, he's particularly addressing the leaders of Israel because as the leaders go, so will the nation. And Joshua pretty much puts it like this. This is what he says. Remember all that God has done. Keep God's word. Cling to God. Love God. Bad stuff will happen if you don't. That's pretty much what he says. So let's start with Joshua 23, verse 1. and Let's remember all that God has done. Verse 1. 
Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side, and Joshua was old, advanced in years, that Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders and their heads and their judges and their officers, and said to them, I am old and advanced in years. Next chapter, we're going to see that Joshua dies at 110. He started to lead Israel to victory when he was about 80. It took him around seven years to get the campaign started. And so now we're close to his death. And here at the end, he's addressing the leadership. Verse 3. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. See, I have apportioned to you these nations which remain as an inheritance for your tribes. With all the nations which I have cut off from the Jordan, even to the great sea, toward the setting of the sun. The Lord your God, he will thrust them out from before you and drive them before you, and you will possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. So here's what he's doing. He's calling the leadership together. He's like, all right, let's reflect on God's faithfulness. Let's remember what he has done so far. He has subdued the nations. He has apportioned the land and he's given the tribes their rightful inheritance. He calls them to look back, and he basically says, the battle belonged to the Lord. Look back. The Lord was the one who was battling. And the reason why he's calling them to look back is because there's still nations in the particular territories that need to be still driven out. And before that happens, he says, look, the battle belonged to the Lord, and now the battle belongs to the Lord. He says, look backwards, see how faithful God was, so that you can go forward and trust his faithfulness today. Basically, what he's saying is that it's a different day, the same God. It's a different phase, the same God. Different circumstances, same God. Different enemies, same God. Now, you haven't lived to be 110, most of you haven't. But let's just all agree that most of you are older rather than younger. All right? We'll leave it at that. And you have seen God do some pretty awesome things in your life, right? He intervened to save you, right? He's been growing you. He's blessed you in a variety of ways. He's carried you through difficult times. He's healed you. You've seen some pretty cool miracles. You have felt the hand of God and you have been blessed in a variety of ways. And the idea is you're to look back to give you confidence to move forward. David Jackman puts it like this. He says, The God of battles won is the same God of battles ahead. And when you believe that, it makes you want to say, God, do it again. God, do it again. Because here's the reality. Different day, same God. Different phase, same God. Different circumstances, same God. Different enemies, same God. And the God who is the same in your past, who is faithful, and you look back, you give him glory, you give him praise, you give him thanks, you're to trust him. All right, the battle belonged to the Lord. Well, now the battle belongs to the Lord. And you can trust him moving ahead. I know there's some serious stuff you're dealing with, but you can trust him moving ahead. He's proved faithful. So that's the message he starts with. And then he moves on to call them to not only reflect back, but he wants them to keep God's word, to keep God's word. Look at verses 6 and 7. 
<clears throat> be very firm then to keep all, to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you will not associate with these nations, these which remain among you, or mention the name of their gods, or make anyone swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. Israel is to be a distinct people. They were to not let the pagans influence them by drawing them after their gods. The Israelites were not to mention the names of their gods. They weren't to swear by them. They weren't to serve them or bow down to them. And the way this separation from sin, this separation from the pagans was to happen is by the Israelites keeping the law of God or keeping the word of God. God's people were to keep what was written in the word of God before them so they would not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And while they were staying in God's word and keeping God's word, it was to make them firm so they would not turn to the right or to the left. If I could impress anything upon my children, if I could impress anything upon you, it's something that would seem so simple but so true. It's to daily stay in God's word. I see people drift when they stop getting in the Word of God. I would encourage my kids strongly, I say it to them, I say, get in the Word. Get in the Word. And not only do I want to encourage them to get in the Word, I want to encourage them to get the Word in them. There's a distinction here. You get in the Word by reading it, but the way that you get the Word in you is by memorizing it. And for years, I've encouraged my kids to memorize the Word of God because sometimes you're not going to be having a physical Bible with you, and yet you're going to be faced with some temptation. And what you need is a particular fighter verse to fight off that temptation. And I want my kids and I want you to have that internal Word in you so that you can fight against the temptations and sin and fight against the discouragements when you need it. So get in the Word and get in the Word in you. And I'm so serious about this and I make a, such a big deal among my kids and I made such a big deal in my last church among college students and I wanna make a big deal even here. And I think it's such a big deal that I've taken some time by God's grace to write a book about it. I'm not joking, I wrote a book. You don't believe me, do you? Well, here it is. It's called Hidden Within, the 40-Day Scripture Memory Project. And it's a book that teaches you a very, very simple method to memorize God's Word. And what it is, it's a 40-day devotional. You can read a devotional each day and encourage you to memorize the Word of God. And by God's grace and Lord willing, is still working it out with the publisher. I'm hoping as we get all this editing done that it will be released on January 1st. And I'm telling you, you, yes, you're thinking, I can't remember where my keys are at. And you know, I totally believe that this generation, yes, you, can memorize the Word of God. And we are going to prove it. In 2020, we are going to do this together. All right? It's coming up. Hang on, 2020, we're going to memorize the word together because I believe that it is important whether you're a little kid. I mean, really, think about it. Think about Awana. We're always trying to get these kids to memorize the word, right? And then what happens after that? They, adults, senior adults, we don't need to memorize the word. Why do the little kids need to memorize it but not us? So I think it's a big deal to get in the word 
and get the word in you. Well, next he says in his parting words, he says to cling to God. Look at verse 8. Cling to God. But you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. Now, if you want to circle that word cling or underline it, that's a great word. It has the same idea of a, of a husband and a wife leaving their parents and cleaving or clinging to one another. That they cling to one another no matter what, in sickness and in health, for richer or poor, to death do us part. And it's very important imagery because Israel is depicted in the Bible as married to God in a variety of ways. And this clinging to the Lord is to be to him alone and to no other. And no matter what the challenges, no matter what the difficulties, they were to cling to the Lord. The reason why they're supposed to cling to him is that he has proven his faithfulness. For example, look at verses 9 and 10. For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you, and as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you, just as he promised you. The Lord promised to fight for him. He's proven faithful. No one else has been able to stand against them. They have come through with victory, where one puts to flight a thousand, because God was fighting for them. There's a little New Testament idea here, which you're familiar with in Romans 8, 31. It says, if God is for us, who is against us? I don't know if you've ever read that verse and thought, well, I can name a lot of people who are against me. But the idea is that it's no one of consequence compared to who the Lord is. And if God is for you, who can it be against you? And if he is for you, who else do you need to cling to but the Lord alone? One of the things that I want to convey to my children is that life is not always easy. It's not always fun. And the reality is, is that you will suffer. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. We are told that you follow the Lord, we're going to be persecuted. And beyond that, we have a lot of variety of, of relationship suffering. We have a lot of bodies not working, suffering. And it's in during those times we need to cling to the Lord. And maybe you're there right now. Do you feel like the kind of life is crushing you in? I read about a woman yesterday that life is just crushing her. A decade ago, this woman had her, her brother die a slow painful death a year ago her son goes into the emergency room with stomach pains he dies the next morning a few months after that her daughter renounces jesus and comes out as a lesbian and then a few months after that her father who's in his 80s commits suicide talk about being crushed 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 and some of you know what i'm talking about you know, you know how one thing crushes you and you think it can't get much worse than this. And then another thing crushes you. Well, surely it can't get much worse. Than this. And then it just completely crushes you. And we are told during those times, it's those times we need to cling to the Lord. What does that even mean? What does it mean cling to the Lord? What does that even look like? It looks like this. Let me tell you about another woman. She's having a baby. She went into the hospital. She had the baby. The doctor said, your baby's about to die. And the baby was holding on. The baby wasn't dying. And all this woman was doing was clinging to the Lord. And what she did, she kept repeating Psalm 136 over and over again, where it says, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Did you know that Psalm repeats that phrase 26 times? <laughs> and so do the mom. She's there in the hospital. All she can do is, for his loving kindness is everlasting. For his loving kindness is everlasting. 
And when times get dark and when you start to get crushed, you just need to cling to the Lord. Just keep pressing on at him. Keep pushing near to him for his loving kindness is everlasting. Well, this moves us on to the next part of his farewell address, and that is to love God. Look at verse 11. One simple verse. Isn't this great? This is in Joshua. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. That's it. Israel was to make it their ambition to love the Lord. They were to take diligent heed. And another translation says to be very careful. We talked about this at family worship with the kids, what it looks like to be careful before doing things. I said, you got any examples? You're like, yeah, yeah. Be careful you don't fall off a cliff. It's a good example. Be careful before you do something that could be dangerous. And the idea here is to be careful, to be diligent, to be intentional about loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Three weeks before his death, C.S. Lewis gave a little, a little farewell comment, and he wrote a, a note to this 11-year-old girl. And th- these are his parting words. This is great. He says, If you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you, and I hope you may always do so. It's nice and simple to continue to love Jesus. And I want to just press that on you right now, and I want to give you some motivation to love Jesus. I want to give you uh, a reminder, a continual reasons to love Jesus, and I'm just going to hit you with a, a lot of phrases that I've learned from my brother in the Lord, Jared Wilson. And he says this, can I tell you about my friend Jesus? And that's what I'm about to do. I'm going to tell you about my friend and your friend Jesus to motivate you and to spur you on to love. Okay, you ready for these? All right, here we go. I love my friend Jesus because he knows everything I've ever thought and still doesn't cross the street to avoid me when he sees me. I love my friend Jesus because the blood of his sacrifice speaks a better word than the sweat of my effort, and he shouts it triumphantly. I love my friend Jesus because he took my death, even though he had plenty of time to think it over and every reason to say no. I love my friend Jesus because he never checks his watch while I'm talking to him. I love my friend Jesus because he never brings up my old stuff. I love my friend Jesus because while many give me trouble, he gives me rest. I love my friend Jesus because he always lives to intercede for me. I love my friend Jesus because I can just be myself with him. I love my friend Jesus because he just straight up, no hesitations, no qualifications, no if ands, or buts, loves me. That's aimed at you. And may your heart respond by aiming that back at him. So not only remember what God's done in the past, right? Not only get in his word, get it in you. Not only cling to the Lord, not only love the Lord, but we got to be honest. If you don't, bad stuff's going to happen to you. Let's just be honest. Bad stuff is going to happen to you. And so Joshua gives them some of that bad stuff. Look at verse 12. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you and intermarry with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you. But they will be a snare and a trap to you, and a whip on your sides, and thorns in your eyes, 
until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. If they ever decide they don't want the Lord and they start clinging to the ways of the nations, they're clinging to their idols rather than the Lord, and there's going to be consequences. Bad stuff's going to happen. If they decide they want to intermarry with these pagan women and associate with what they associate, then bad stuff is going to happen to them. And you kind of wonder, well, what is that bad stuff? Well, get this. God's no longer going to fight for them. They're going to go out to battle and be totally on their own. And not only that, this tells us that these nations are going to be a snare and a trap to them like a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. And these nations could be such a snare to the Israelites where the Israelites would perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. There's a lot, a lot of consequences. If you want to know what happens to the Israelites, just turn the pages over to Judges and just keep reading the rest of the Old Testament. And it is not pretty. It is not pretty what happens to them when they turn away from the Lord. Israel gets so low that they're sacrificing their own children in the fire to worship false gods. And when they get taken away to these other lands, they are tortured from turning away from the Lord. Bad stuff for sure happens. And you're thinking, well, bad stuff's not going to happen to me. What would it look like for bad stuff to happen to you? Well, if we understand the New Testament, if we understand the way the Word of God speaks, it tells us that God, if you're His child, He will discipline you. In addition, you're going to have some natural consequences of what you are doing because the Bible says you reap what you sow. That's the way God has set it up and He will not be mocked. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. He said, God will not allow His children to sin successfully. God will not allow His children to sin successfully. Now this is not to say that every bad thing that happens in your life is a result of sin. I mean, you can have a lot of suffering in your life that has nothing to do with what you have done. But I want to tell you this. Don't cause your own suffering by your actions. Don't be the instigator of your own pain by your foolish choices. Don't be the one that's responsible for the calamity that has come upon you. It's like I say to my kids. I say it to them all the time. Don't work against me. I'm, I'm not out to harm them. Truly, I intend good for them. But when they disobey or thwart the good plans I have for them, not only are they working against me, but they're bringing harm to themselves. Two weeks ago, I'm in our living room. I'm with our eight-year-old. And I said, hey, you want to watch a cartoon? And so I got all these million remotes. I got to figure out how to turn the TV on. I'm trying to get a, a cartoon up for him. And so while he's waiting... He's throwing up a soccer ball in the living room and kicking it over and over again. We're pretty permissive parents. He's throwing it up. He's kicking it. And then one time he throws it up, instead of kicking the soccer ball, he kicks the coffee table. And he starts to whimpering, and his toe starts to bleed everywhere. And so I have to go in the other room, get a Band-Aid, calm him down, wrap up his toe. And, and it's almost like I'm thinking, don't work against me. I'm doing something good for you. Watch the cartoon, and you're over here messing around, busting your toe, hurting yourself. And just think about your relationship with God. God intends for your good. He intends for your blessing. And yet sometimes we work against Him. We're over here doing silly, stupid things. And we get ourselves into trouble. We bring harm upon ourselves. And yet God wants to bless us. He wants to give good gifts to His children don't work against him. Don't bring harm upon yourself by your own choices and foolishness. And that's what Joshua is getting at. Don't work against God. He's out for your good. And then he finishes by basically saying, 
I'm not going to read it all, but in 14 through 16, he just says all this bad stuff's going to happen to you. <laughs> he says you're going to perish off the land. God's going to pour out his judgment. You know, have you ever given encouraging and motivational speeches, like, you know, at commencements or when you give a speech? You're supposed to be encouraging and you're supposed to end in a way that motivates them. But Joshua apparently did not take speech school instruction, right? He ends on a note of wrath. It's not encouraging enough. It's, it's, a, it's a note of warning. And, and I like that because often that's the way I talk to my kids. I want them to know what's the reality. I want them to know my background and all the foolish choices I made that brought harm upon myself. I want to know the life I used to live and the destruction that came upon me. And I want to warn them, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go down that road of foolishness. I mean, you can go and you can act like you're the first one that's ever gone that road and it's going to be great, but I'm telling you, destruction is going to fall. And I like to speak to them in graphic details of what is going to happen. It may embarrass them. It may embarrass me. It may embarrass you, but I like to talk to them. This is what's going to happen if you go down that road. It's going to be one of destruction. Let me tell you what it's going to look like. And some of you don't need those graphic details because some of you have gone down those roads. You have made those choices. You have worked against God and you've brought harm on yourself. But one of the things I want to really impress upon my kids, upon me, upon you, is that if you ever decide to go down those roads, you can get to a point where you can stop, you can turn around, and you can turn back to Jesus. I never want myself, I don't want you, I don't want my kids to ever feel like they're so embarrassed, they're so ashamed, they're so full of guilt that they don't ever want to turn back to Jesus because Jesus saves sinners. Uh, let, me, let, let me just tell you about your friend Jesus. I want you to know him. I want you to understand this. Jesus never strayed, and yet the disaster of God's wrath fell on him. Jesus obeyed perfectly, and yet God's anger burned against him. Jesus never served other gods. He never broke a commandment. He never transgressed the covenant. And yet he was destroyed on the cross as if he did. I want you to look at it this way. We who disobeyed, we get all the blessings of God through faith in Jesus Christ. While Jesus, who perfectly obeyed, gets all the curses of God on the cross. You need to understand the gospel. I'm going to say it again. We who disobeyed, get all the blessings of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, who obeyed perfectly, gets all the curses of God poured out upon him in the cross. So don't ever get to a point where you say, no, I can't return too much guilt, too much shame. No, you can return. That's what the cross is for. And you may be at that point this morning. You may have been straying. Someone may have drugged you here this morning. You may be living some secret life of sin that, that no one knows about. I don't know where you're at, but I want you to know that you can return to Jesus Christ. That's what he died for, for sinners like you and me. You can repent, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Israel never got to a point where God abandoned them. He kept pursuing them and pursuing them and pursuing them. And they made foolish choices and foolish choices. Many of them were destroyed and lost forever. But you know, he kept pursuing them until he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save sinners. And this morning, you can return to Jesus. Now, I don't know if I'm ever going to get a chance to give a farewell speech of sorts as in my last talk. ever. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I don't know if I'm ever going to know that I'm about to die and this is my last message. 
But eventually one day, I guess I may have a tombstone if that's what my kids decide. And I always joke with them about what I want on my tombstone, like my last message ever. And I'm thinking they may put on my tombstone some of my repeated phrases that I say to them often. Phrases like, leave me alone. (laughs) Stop being annoying. (laughs) And stop messing around. I don't know what they're going to put on my tombstone, but but I I tell you what, what I want my sentiment now and then to be, this is what I want my sentiment to be. It's really simple. It goes like this. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.